Season 2, Episode 9, Stats Don't Matter. UFC 261, the first UFC fight with fans in the stands in the United States. Tim, it did not disappoint. Three, mm. count them, three title fights. They were all crazy good. We're going to break it down. Of course, last week in April, you know what that means, NFL fans. It's time for the draft. There's been a whole bunch of mock drafts. We're going to throw out some opinions that probably aren't going to stick, but we don't care because we're just as good as the mock drafters in predicting what these college athletes are going to do in a year from now. Doesn't matter. In our cups this week, it's a Keller beer from my keg that came from Richmond, Virginia. And Tim's got a Berliner Weiss from New Haven, Connecticut. You know you can find Stats the Matter wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Stats the Matter and on Twitter at Stats Podcast. Let's get into the show. Let's go. Let's go. a lot of good things that happened this weekend um ufc 261 sold out venue got a lot of fans in the stands it was great to hear knockouts i'm gonna get there i'm gonna get there don't think i'm forgetting the beer <laughs> but there was something else that happened this weekend right mm, mm-hmm. not only do we have ufc 261 we had top rank or as i like to refer to it the mortal combat of you know combat sports uh it's had many reboots <laughs> It's not really that good unless you understand it and have supported it since the 1990s. And the characters aren't really that good. I mean, it was cool. It was nostalgic. I'm sure the top rank uh, fight card for the world championship was good. But I doubt it was as good as anything we saw this weekend. Your thoughts? Good, sir. Uh, Well, I uh, appreciate the effort. Uh, That was uh, for for those who are listening in. uh, This comes from uh, a very dark place on social media where Sam and some of his cohorts were tearing apart the Mortal Kombat film. The Wasn't second part of that apart. comes from his entire misunderstanding of uh. top rank fights because top rank is just the promoter, but not mm. both fighters are from top rank. So they yeah. are from other ones. And that this, fight was so good though. It was like top rank, right? No, it wasn't. It was like low rank. That was a very, very bad joke. <laughs> very bad Tim, joke. Tim, break us into what you're drinking this week. Oh man, I can't even. I I can't. I mean, my ba- my my boxing fans need to come in here and school Sam a little bit because his takes are terrible this week. They're probably just as good as Sonya Blade's punches were against Nitara in the in the Mortal Kombat. So film. so here's here's what I equate the Mortal or Mortal Sub-Zero. Kombat movie to. Where was right? Liu Kang? I think Did the someone movie... explain Cole's Arcana to me. These are questions, Tim. They have to be answered. <laughs> I mean, did you play any of the games ever? Yeah. There were so many characters that were just mashed in there, and they followed storylines from a couple different uh, series that existed before. But anyway, anyway. I'm going to be watching, so old when I say this. Watching Mortal I'm- Kombat for the storyline is like watching porn for the storyline. Like, you're there for the action, <laughs> but you can't help but get sucked into the storyline, and you find yourself sort of chuckling at it. But hey, nobody is poorly, there to, like, watch the films. whole thing. Yeah, poorly produced <laughs> films are going to be bad either way. Um, yeah. But, no, I'm, I'm old enough to remember Mortal Kombat 1, 2, and 3, where, you know, they didn't do Reptile Dirty and not make him a cyborg, just throwing it out there, uh, and smoke, you know, Cyrex, all that stuff. Anyways... Tim, your beer. We anyway, don't need to get into anyway, this. You're 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 anyway. not gonna have the right take here. The movie was trash. It was. Uh, I didn't think it was trash. I just didn't Lowercase go T. in. I did not go in thinking it was gonna be an Oscar winner like the rest of you guys who watched it. It was a movie <laughs> about a tournament where people fight each other, and at the end of each fight, they kill each other in horrific ways. I don't know what you were expecting going into the film. It got a More little. 
It got a more little gore. more of they well they were trying to avoid an NC seventeen rating. They did That's cut true. a woman in half with a uh, hat turned into a buzzsaw. So yeah, and the hat kind of looked like one of those um, little shortcakes with a cherry on top. It, it it they didn't do that justice. They really didn't. What they, they really did didn't. do very good at was uh, the fights between Sub Zero and Scorpion. All oh, of yeah. those were phenomenal. Yeah, Scor- but that, that was the trailer. Such a that was, that's phenomenal... three minutes and 40 seconds. No, like from the beginning, like when the opening scene, the seven minutes in the beginning, the fight at any time Sub-Zero was on the screen. It was awesome. He was walking down the street, making it making it snow, and then he uses that. Yeah, and then the he sucks the rest of the movie. Right. It's, it's, ah. it's so bad when you got to have, have a number one pick in the Mortal Kombat draft, and he can't even carry a franchise. Tim, tell Back. us about the beer. I'm going to keep taking right. us on tangents right. until you right. tell right. us right. about right. the beer. We should, actually. If, if you guys want to hear us do a segment on movies uh, and Sam's bad takes, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to work that in. But, all right, I'm mm-hmm. drinking. Uh, it's called Watercolors from Skygazer. Folks in Connecticut uh, really love this beer. Um, there's a small part of the community that really doesn't like it for some reason. I've never had it. I know it comes in... A couple different variants. Uh, it's their uh, Berliner style sort of sour that they kind of play around with. One of the big things people like to do is mix them. I see it all over the Facebook groups and whatnot. So I saw this one. Believe it or not, I hadn't. I did not have any beer in this house for the last two days outside of my wife's like four month old Guinness. Um, just with the new schedule, it's never around anymore. But I saw this. Uh, it was a tough pick because the can is very, very aggressive, and I don't quite know what to make of it. It's called the Raspberry Blueberry Cheesecake Creamy, which is uncomfortable to say, but the can is like <laughs> this bright pink and light blue and purple. But what, Sam, what is the design that's on there? Like, I. I can't describe um, to you uh, for the children out there what this looks like in person. Um, uh, so, this, so this, so we're administering the Rorschach test on Stats and Matter podcast. That's what yeah. we're doing. This is the yes. ink plot to see if there, if I see anything in in there from my repressed memories. No, Tim, it looks like a couple of wild azalea flowers or a starfish or mm, something. Get out of here nah, with this. No, no, no. Look, they got the satellite there for a sky laser. <laughs> but what is the rest of this? It looks. It it looks like it looks an like artist rock rendition of um, a part of anatomy that we won't mention on the podcast. Um, right, but, but anyway, we're alluding to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so anyway, this is raspberry blueberry cheesecake creamy uh, watercolor from Skygazer. And as soon as I open this sucker, and my face is about two feet away from it, it smells like it's got that normal sort of Berliner. So, you know, they all got that, like, tart smell to them because they're generally tart beers. And also to preface and remind anybody who uh, has forgotten, I'm not a terribly huge sour fan. So these are always a bit of a stretch for me. I'm just putting it out there. I even got the fancy glass. But look how thick this thing is. Holy yeah. shit. It looks like, I mean, it. it's not that thick. Like, it moves fine, but it literally looks like raspberry puree or pudding anyway i'm a big cheesecake fan so i'm excited for this one (sighs) 
Okay. Okay. So it's got three six that, coming in. It's got that normal Berliner, the 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 vice tart that you get in every single one of them. That same kind of back end is on every single one of these beers, regardless of who I've made it. So it still has that on there, but it's got a lot of berries up front, like super sweet berries. It does have, um, it does have milk sugar in it, um, but it says it's got actual cheesecake and cream in it, and I can taste all of that. This sucker is sweet. It's probably also about 450 calories if I had to take a guess. Um, there's another 115 right there in that sip. Get yeah. it. Um, it's good. It's good. It's it. The tart is a little bit more mild than you normally get in a lot of these styles. Um, it's still, I don't know how, whether it's the yeast that's used to make this style, but they all have that sort of same tart flavor to them. And this one is no different. It tastes like, it has a, the same exact tart profile of every Berliner I've ever had, but the sweetness is good. It's it's a little bit more subdued than I was expecting based off of all of those uh, ingredients that were listed. This is another one where I went into it knowing it was going to be sweet. It didn't catch me off guard. I wasn't like, oh, what is this? And pow, it's overly sweet. So I knew going into it. So I'm going to, my score is scaled based off of that. If you don't like sweet beers and you go in and you crack one of these open, first you're an idiot for not reading the can or getting a description for it. Um, but second, this has no business being in your glass. Me, I got a sweet tooth. I knew what this was going to be. I think it's very good. It has its place. Could I drink an entire four-pack of this? Nope. But the three that are in there, the in the fridge are going to be there for desserts over the next couple weeks. After dinner, if I want to sit down and, you know, instead of having a, a sweet or ice cream or something i'm gonna have one of these guys i'm gonna give it a higher score than i thought i was gonna give it based off of the style i'm gonna give it a solid four all right across the board um yeah it's one of those like if you like to have dessert beers around the house like I, my go-to's are pastry stouts y'all know which ones i'm talking about neapolitan ice cream <laughs> sours yeah like oh uh, get your bingo card out everyone that's that's drink <laughs> Yeah, or like Gunner's Daughter or something that's got like some nice sweetness to it. Um, you see there's a vanilla version now? I did not see that. Yeah, I saw it today on their, on their Instagram page. There's a vanilla version of, of Gunner's Daughter. I'm like, no, I didn't, I didn't know that. Okay. But uh, No, this is, this is good. I'll give it a four. Uh, it's one I would probably have, you know, kicking around when I, you know, instead of eating a handful of gummy bears, maybe I'll, I'll have one of these instead. But it's definitely not something I could sit down and have a ton of and it's not necessarily something that would be like a regular go-to but it definitely has its place and for the style and what the can says i'm, I'm here for it i'll give it a four all right four well <clears throat> in my keg this week <laughs> shout out to craig the keg master thank you very much awesome home uh home housewarming gift but i've been in the house for a while now so i guess you can't even refer to it as that anymore I uh, got a Keller beer from Ardent Ales out of Richmond, Virginia. Um, I like a lot of what Ardent does anyways. If, if you know anything about Richmond, it's a, it's a very IPA-heavy town. So if you got a 
make your way in the world in Richmond, you gotta you gotta have a, a solid IPA, and they, they have a, they have a couple solid IPAs, and I have really been getting into their lagers and pilsners lately. Um, I love their pilsner; it's a good Czech pilsner, nice and earthy and a little bready. And then I tried this beer, uh, Keller beer, and I was like, this is great. Then I got a chance to get a sixth of it. Had to get it on draft. Uh, the cool thing about Keller beers, pun intended, is that they uh, it historically used to be made in caves, right? They were like a cave cellared lager, right? So there's no pasteurization that goes on in the beer. Um, there's a lot of wild yeast in there and stuff. So like you, you kind of get like a full bodied beer. Um, and even though they, they've been brewed in a colder environment than, you know, typically the boil, they, they suggest that you serve it around like 45 to 55 degrees. So that means I got to pour one and then I got to let it sit. And I don't like to do that, but I got to tell you when you, when you get like a little bit of that, that on, and again, maybe it's just because there's pasteurization in the cheese and the milk and everything else that we have. But like, if you have an unpasteurized beer and then you have a pasteurized beer, you'll notice it immediately. It's, it's definitely very cool. And you know, I, I don't mind it whatsoever. As you can see, it's got a lot of good head retention. Um, and it's just, it's practically clear, which for something that cold lagered, I mean, I'm all about it. So shout out to them. Uh, I think I gave this a, a four, so I'm, I'm going to stick with that. Uh, on draft, it's just as good as it is in can. So shout out to the uh, the brew shop in Arlington for hooking me up with the keg. And shout out to, to Arden. Cheers. Cheers, sir. Did mine... Uh... I poured what was left in the can, and it literally sprouted a brain. Look at that. Yeah, it overflowed. It, uh, but it's like a very viscous, like. Remember, remember the old beer dye days, or, or, yeah. you know, where you would get rid of foam by, you know, rubbing the oil off the side of your nose. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, not what I did, but. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, you did. Don't let him fool you. Anybody who did a funnel knows the old trick to get rid of the foam Ugh. with the, uh, and then you're down. Uh, that would not work here if I tried no, it. No, I, I, I was terrible at beard now, eye. So I won't try it. I was terrible at beard eye for the most part. So I just tried to, uh, drink as much of the beer underneath the foam as possible. So if someone looked in the cup, they'd be like, ah, it's obviously full. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> and then, you know, someone would plunk on me. It would just hit foam all the way to the bottom of the, of the cup. So worked out pretty well. Yeah. I've seen the meme go around, but I got to agree. Anybody who went to college or visited a college and played beer pong or beer die, COVID should be the least of your concerns because you did not give a shit when that dirty ass dice or ping pong ball went missing underneath a couch, underneath a chair, underneath someone's feet, bounced across the floor of a fraternity house. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you have... Uh, inadvertently ingested far worse things than COVID off of yeah. those ping pong balls, but just we well, obviously saying that in a joking manner. Okay, I'm not trying to get you know some serious backlash here. Obviously, you know you I, going I say that lovingly and affectionately. Yeah. It's the same thing if you played it in like your college buddy's apartment. Because I got to tell you, uh, you may think it was cleaner, but it's not that much cleaner. Yeah, so. sure wasn't. Sure wasn't. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I mean, you know. We're not as young as we used to be, okay? We, we've been around the game for a while, <laughs> probably just as long as, oh, I don't know, Jorge Masvidal has been in, inside the UFC. And he and Kamar Usman ran it back for a title fight at UFC 261 this weekend, Jacksonville. 15,000 fans 
And I got to tell you, Tim, <clears throat> I found a way to acquire some streams to watch parts of the fight. I didn't watch every fight, uh, but I did see a lot of the la, big. La, 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 la. <laughs> I did see a lot of the, the big moments. Shout out to Twitter uh, with people reposting clips and everything. There were some fantastic moments in this fight. Um, I, I can just think back to the first time that I saw Jorge Masvidal and Kamar Usman uh, almost a year ago uh, in July when they both took the fight on, what, a week's notice. You and I talked about how you put, you put your tinfoil hat on and maybe you know someone took the fight on a week's notice for money, but there was a COVID opt-out. There was a lot of things that were going on. Yaz Island had just begun being the UFC's uh, launching point to stay uh, in everyone's mind and, and bring us sports, albeit combat sports, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and it was a really ballsy idea, and it worked. Um, yeah. But that fight was not good. <laughs> it was not good at all. Um, and, you know, Usman had to, had, he, you know, he retained his title, and there was so much shit talking about Masvidal after that fight that, like, you begin to wonder a little bit, like, okay, this dude's been around for a while. Like, he used to be in urban fight videos with Kimbo Slice. Like, he has a really good background as a fighter. And when he would just talk so much shit about his opponents, it wouldn't, it wasn't like, Oh, like, you know, this guy's a bad fighter because he can't hit right. It like, it was a clip and, I, and I'm sure you've seen it where he said something like to this nature about Usman. He was like, I'm sure he just wakes up and, you know, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, God just, just didn't bless him with the power to hurt another man. You know what I mean? Like, just, just yeah. like this absolute bulletin board material. And for a guy that like clearly, clearly knew exactly what he was doing. That's what made this 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 primo title fight like the best. It, it started exactly how I thought it was going to go with Masvidal, like you know, kind of doing the Conor McGregor thing, where he's like making faces and laughing, keeping his hands behind his back, like "Yo, hit me." And then this is the greatest thing. I don't know if you saw this meme. It said uh, Kamar Usman just made Jorge Masvidal the Sprite Drake version. Right. And the, the Sprite commercial where Drake's face opens up and all like the moisture goes out and all that other stuff. When Masvidal got connected on that Usman punch, uh, there was so much sweat that came off of his body that it, it literally blurred the air around him for a minute. And if you get a chance to see the photo, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and Masvidal just crumpled to the mat. And then Usman put a couple on him for good measure. Um, and when he came to, Masvidal was like, I guess there was some deliberation in his corner about whether or not he actually got knocked out. Like that, I guess that's how, you know, right. When, when you, when you really get your bell rung, but man, there are now three Nigerian champions in the UFC, Francis Ngannou, Israel Adesanya. And now, well, and again, and still, um, Kamara Usman. Yep. Dana White said on a podcast with Bill Simmons that a UFC event in Africa is coming. And I have never, ever been more excited. This is like your Sonny Liston, uh, Muhammad Ali rumble in the jungle. Why it took us 30 to 40 years to get back here, I'm not sure. There's a lot of other great moments. Tim, did you think going in that Masvidal had a shot? Uh, I did, actually, but I have it on record uh, that I thought Usman was going to take it for a few different reasons. Um, Masvidal, I think, is a great fighter. But he, he's taken punches. I mean, everyone looks back at things that he's done as sort of like staples in his career that some of it obviously matters in the lore of a fighter, but not necessarily in the grand scheme of things that Ben Askren 
knockout in five seconds was because Astrin shot for the leg as he was going up, and it was just a really, really bad read by Astrin and a really lucky... Like, he was coming in with that knee no matter what. Astrin just did him a favor by putting his face against it, and <laughs> it ended that. But, like, the fight with Diaz, you could argue that that one got stopped because Diaz and his scar tissue, he tends to bleed a lot, and... He's been banged up more aggressively before. So there wasn't a lot of that where, you know, for me, I thought, oh, this is the guy. Like, it's it's not going anywhere. I I said it leading up to the fight. I said it the night of the fight um, at work. We were watching it. I made little side bets with all the other UFC fans that were there. And every single one of them, I picked Usman because he just seemed like a more well-rounded fighter. Mazadal obviously is great, except his background is a little bit more dirty. So I think there's a lot of room for technique and whatnot that can get, can get exposed. And what you saw was that fully exposed because that knockout was a thing of beauty. If you haven't seen it yet, you got to go back and look at it because Usman came in and he... Looked like he was going to throw a jab, and that made Masvidal like see it start to check the punch by throwing another hook. But what he missed is it wasn't a jab. He grabs, he no, he takes his hand and he moves it out of the way so that his other hand and fist could come from like the other side of the planet and connect with his face. It in slow motion. It is such a beautiful beautiful little move because in real time it looks like he jabs Masvidal attempts to block and then quickly throw like a check punch or a counter punch that's designed to make you kind of like stop for a second or eat it on the chin but like the realization that like oh that's not a jab he literally grabs his hand and moves it away and gives him a clear open shot with all of his power directly into the chin and Masvidal said afterwards he's he he basically walked through what I just did as well and said even he appreciates it because it was sold so well that by the time he realized it he knew he was about to get hurt like he knew it was coming in hot and uh even he has said that he appreciates it that's one of his favorite moments because he loves the sport so much and that was a shining moment of accuracy he had no idea that uh usman contained that level of power he made the jokes from before one of the things i had said leading into this fight i don't know if we talked about it on here but one of the things that was was coming up pretty regularly was the differences between this fight and the last one the last fight he took it on a week's notice so you don't really have a lot of tape to go off in to go off of you don't have a sparring partner you can find that kind of mimics the guy's style so you're literally going into it trying to figure each other out. That's what happened on the Usman side, too. Like He's also in there trying to figure it out. He doesn't have a lot of tape to break down. He doesn't have a lot of technique to kind of look at and game plan for. He doesn't have sparring partners that are similar or who can come in and do some of the same things so he can prep for them. So there was no prep on either side. So everyone was big on being like, oh, this is Masvidal's chance because now he had a full training camp. This is going to be so different. Well, he lost the last fight, and now the guy who beat him 
had more time to prepare for it. And that's exactly what you saw again. Yeah. And like you said, Masvidal got knocked out. That was the second time in a night one of the champs went down and didn't know they got knocked out. Because Thug Rose, whom I actually, I, I hate the name Thug Rose. I've had it explained to me why. I know it's why. It's just not a nickname that when you look at her, you're like, oh, yes, this woman looks exactly like a thug, a thug Rose. That, that should be her name. It just doesn't make sense. But, um, her fight against Wei Li ended in a very similar style where uh, Wei Li ate a kick to the face and went out cold and had no idea. No idea. She got up. She was arguing. Why'd you stop it? Why'd you stop it? And then yeah. you see kind of the realization a little bit later. Like she was pissed. She thought it was like an early stoppage. She thought she was fine. And it wasn't until later when they, you know, she was on the ground eating punches, not even trying to block herself. What you see, One thing for casual fans when you watch these big fights to keep in mind, there's so much muscle memory that's built into this, so much that has become reflex. Like Masvidal, you'll see when he was on the ground, he puts his arm up and his leg up like he's defending himself. Well, it's because he knows he's in a fight and he knows he's in danger, and that's just sort of his natural behavior. But if you look at his face, he's looking straight ahead, and he's not reacting to what's going on. And the same thing happened to Whaley. She went down. She was on all fours, just eating him, not trying to block him, not trying to do anything until the ref stepped in and uh, and stopped it. I mean, this whole card across the board was phenomenal. You saw people get outclassed. You saw people, uh, you saw amazing fights. You saw a lot of back and forth. You saw a guy uh, break his leg in half, which yeah. was deep. Let's talk about that disgusting i yeah so it was on i was rough away yeah it was on i looked away i could tell immediately by the reaction from the commentators the reaction from the audience in the stands that it wasn't good and i did not look at the screen for like a good four or five minutes and then i heard joe rogan say we're going to show it or no. He's like, he was, they were talking about one of their colleagues, not wanting to see it. Like, we're not going to see it. So I'm still looking away. I look over at the screen, just as he says, we're going to replay it one time. (laughs) We're going to replay it in slow-mo and then we're never going to play it again. And like, I'm not good with that stuff. Like at all. Like I cannot, I, I can't watch it. Um, in fact, the fight right before that with Anthony Smith and uh, Jimmy Butte ended in a very similar way where I thought uh, something like that happened to an ankle because he went to stand up. Basically, a big thing you, you see more and more, it's always been a thing, but it seems to be coming more and more effective, is to kick the front leg because you just keep pounding the nerves and you pound the leg, and when it starts to get uh like banged up and bruised up and those nerves start to take damage it's hard to put weight on it it's hard to transfer power off of it so you'll see sometimes guys will lead that's why you hear them talk about checking kicks where that kick's coming in uh and you attempt to come up with a way to to block it uh which is exactly what we saw with chris weidman um but in that in the fight just before that uh, the leg kicks were coming in. 
the leg kicks were coming in and um one of them landed just kind of like behind the kneecap of uh jimmy Kute. I, I think i might be saying his last name wrong but jimmy Kute, and it hits a nerve that ends up deading his leg all the way down to his ankle so he goes to stand and he just his ankle gives out and at first it looks like he broke an ankle and you're looking at some flopping extremity the same way you would if you see like a compound fracture or a major break. Or the Weidman break. The Weidman break, which unfortunately uh, he was involved early in his career uh, in another fight in which his opponent broke their leg yeah. in the same fashion. So yeah, it's, it's kind of unfortunate Brutal. to see that happen again. I did see pictures of the x-ray from before and after, and to see someone break both of the bones, like along the shin and the bone behind the shin, you stub your knee on a coffee. I mean, your shin on a coffee table and you're out of work for four weeks. Imagine snapping it. You hit mm. somebody so it was the, that was the perfect knee check. It came in and he kind of just leaned forward enough. It must have hit like a weak spot that's there. Um, I have a, a buddy of mine. Shout out to Matt DiTomaso, who is a listener of the show. We talked about it a little bit. Uh, that's why like novice MMA fighters are, you know, at good gyms told not to kick because it takes so much to condition your shins what you're doing is you basically have to spend a ton of time conditioning your shin by micro fracturing it or doing like things where uh, you cause little breaks because every time it grows back, it grows back harder and harder, just like kind of like scar tissue does. So you'll either use uh, like studded rollers and you'll literally roll it down and you'll smush the bone on your knee to the point where when it grows back, it gets harder. And then you graduate from there to kicking things that are hard so that when it heals, it comes back harder. If you don't do that properly, you end up snapping your shit in half uh, on the on the fight floor. But that yikes. was... Yikes, yikes, yikes. Awful. I'm telling you. Uh, it made me want to throw up. I feel bad for the guy. He's a little bit older um, by fighting standards. Um, you just kind of hope that he can come back and walk. It was really classy what Uriel Hall said. That that was going to be a good fight. Like I was really looking forward to that one. I was really looking forward to the one before it too. But um, it was pretty classy. Hall came out and said, "Doesn't matter where he's at. Doesn't matter where his world ranking is. If Weidman comes back, uh, he'll take the fight. Like he owes them that. They will have that fight. So that was pretty cool." Um, I, I hope that that is the case. You know, I wish him the best in his recovery. That's not going to be something uh, that he's going to come back from anytime soon. Uh, but man, this card was stacked. The, the fight right after that uh, was equally as amazing. Um, Shevchenko just completely, completely outclassed uh Jessica, it was not even like close. Like it fifth title defense, fifth title defense. I, one like, of the things I was talking about is how awkward her little dance moves are at the end. Like I, like I hate when NFL players celebrate after everything that they do. Oh my god, but, stoop kid, get off but, your stoop. But she just won a combat sport. She can do whatever the hell I, she wants. I understand that, but in order for her to do her like fifteen second dance routine. 
like her opponent has to like back up and watch it. The commentators have to back up and watch it. And you're like, <laughs> if, okay. If you won well, the title five times in a row, I would hope in your contract you get, you know, 15 square feet to do your little dance. I, come yeah, on. Now. Whatever. Come on now, Tim. Whatever. But no, it 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 was stopped because she okay, was just boomer. literally outclassing outclassing Jessica. She had her down. She would have her in like a crucifix pose or she would have her down in a position where her arms were literally locked down and she was just raining, like couldn't even defend herself, just raining arms and fists to the point where when she got up, she didn't even fight it. Like when they announced it, she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just totally getting my ass kicked. I, uh, thank you. Thank you for saving my life in there, sir. Referee. <laughs> yeah. So one of the interesting things about the, the Shevchenko uh, title defense, the UFC put out a video or she might've put out a video on Twitter and it showed like an octagon like belt. Uh, and there was a Ruby for every time she's defended her title. And of course mm-hmm. an octagon, there are eight points and she's got five of them. And I just yeah. thought to myself, I understand that Amanda Nunez has done a, an incredible amount like for the sport and on Dana, um, on the Bill Simmons podcast, Dana White said she was the goat of women's combat sports. I don't disagree with that. I do think though that like you defend that title five, six, seven, eight times. Like you, you got to be in the sports Valhalla. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just has to has to occur. The only thing I'm worried about UFC 262 is coming right up again. Sold out in minutes, just as the third one did after that. They got over five million in gate revenue uh, yep. in less than 15 minutes because people want to go see fights. I get it. I absolutely get it. We just we just had an introduction back to the UFC on mm-hmm. American soil with prize fights. And I just, I feel like it's going to be hard for the next two cards to live up to how much this one just kicked ass. You know, yeah. there, there aren't, a, there aren't a lot of things, you know, TJ Dillashaw has already pulled out of his next bout. There's a Conor McGregor fight that's supposed to be coming up. There's also another boxing event, you know, that'll be happening like the same weekend. So like we went from not getting any content to really, really good content. And I just worry if the second and third rounds of this uh, this initial push back into the American market is just going to be like, you know, the seasons two and three of a good sitcom that like the writers kind of, they mail it in a little bit. I, I don't know that that will happen necessarily. It's just it's just a regular fear I think I have and, and some other people have because like there was literally so much good content in UFC 261. You, you didn't, if you paid full price for that fight, which many people did, you didn't leave that fight card thinking, I didn't get my money's worth. Yeah, Like you thought that within the first two or three fights and to know that the, the undercard was good. And then there was like three title fights. You are not going to see another card that was going to be stacked like that for a while. You're just going to see cards necessary that have like maybe, you know, big names or, or folks who are ready to come back up. And to be honest, I mean, Masvidal, like, I don't think there's a point now where you can like challenge someone for a belt, maybe the BMF belt, but I mean, it's not really a belt. Right, so I was really, He's had I two was really hoping. At, I was really hoping, by the way, that yeah. he took that belt with him. Yeah, right? but he, he would have been like, "Hey, bitch, that that belt is mine," and I would have yeah. applauded and been like, "And I actually think, but, I think, I, I, I think Mazadal would have given it up." It was like, "Hey, by the way, you're forgetting something." I, I'm willing to bet he would have been like, "Oh yeah, all right, here you go." That yeah. would been. That would have like. Would have been cemented great. Uh, UFC. That would have been like a UFC all time moment. That would have been awesome. One of the, yeah, one of the weird things though is that like we didn't even fully get to appreciate Usman putting the belt on his father. 
you know what I mean? Who was like, he had gone to jail and like he had gotten out of jail. This is one of the first times you're going to see his son fight. He, he retains his title defense. Like he puts the belt on his dad. It's a, it's an incredible moment. And then we cut away to Colby Covington. Looks like he's wearing eyeliner, like trying to like talk shit to Masvidal. Like, bro, no one cares. No one cares. No yeah. one cares. Like, or the, it, it or, just, the, or, the Jake Paul, or the Jake Paul circus. That Daniel Cormier. Yeah. Oh. So, and I, here it is. It, he, there's the, for as much as I dislike the kid, he's playing this exactly the way he should. His next target, he's literally drumming up all this controversy, is going to be another. Fight? It's going to be another retired MMA fighter. It's not a boxer. It's going to be another retired MMA fighter who is going to get in there. And if they're not fighting MMA rules, going to run another risk of getting pummeled because. You're in there with heavier gloves. You're taking shot. Like all you're doing is taking shots to the body and the face the whole time. And it's a little different than when you're in a UFC round for, you know, a couple minutes. So I, it, it's already starting to play out. Like he's going to keep goading him and keep goading Ugh. him. And if he buys into it and if it happens and he wins, it's going to be another one where like, okay, now you can't say Daniel Cormier didn't deserve to be in there fighting. But if he gets in there, I have, I'm very much in the mindset that he'll probably also lose. Not necessarily because I think he'll take it more seriously than Ben Askren did. I think he's got more skill than Ben does, but he's a big dude. He spent a lot of his time sort of like wrestling around on the ground. Like, can he throw punches and can he strike? Sure. But there, a lot of his fight game wasn't standing up. A lot of it was on the ground and that's not the rules that they're going to fight under. Sure. If they decide to go MMA rules, he's going to get, uh, he's going to kick his ass. And I, and I, and I wish at some point he did, but it's not going to happen. And then we now, that's a perfect segue into Jake Paul. Did you just see who Jake Paul signed a fight contract with in June? Yeah, it's Fury, right? No. Keep guessing. I'll give you a hint. He's currently undefeated. I don't know shit about Floyd, boxers. <laughs> Floyd Mayweather. Oh no! I, Which I by saw, the way, I saw every, everybody I, get your pens out. Write down uh, uh, ten thirty six at four twenty seven. Sam and me doesn't know shit about boxing, which then negates his take from earlier. <laughs> Sam, I concede the rest of my time. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, we have to devote more time to talking about the fucking Paul brothers. Okay, ah, we'll we'll see what you, happens. I think it was a. Uh, a June sixth card. June sixth. I'm busy. Officially, yep. been much more announced. important shit to do. Uh, let's see. I'll give us. I'll give you all the exact time here because I just got it uh, myself not that long ago. It is <sighs> just why. According to uh, Sports Center Twitter, breaking Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul have agreed to fight Hard Rock Stadium on June 9th, They announced. June 9th. I'll be busy. I'll find something to do. I'll knit. I'll do crosswords. Yeah. I'm not watching that fight. It's going to be trash. Yep. yep. Although, if if somehow Logan Paul comes out and wins against another boxer, even if he Stop is... Stop winning against Floyd Mayweather. What's the... Like, like, no, no, no. 1038 on 427, Tim opened the door for Floyd Mayweather, who's undefeated, to lose against a YouTube boxer. I'm taking the rest of your time. You've conceded uh, it. You can't say that. Uh, uh, the difference being, one what of was in had, that beer? What's the ABV of that beer? Because you are listen, high as a. You know what? One of them has been dedicated 
dedicating all their time and money to try and pretend that he's a fighter. The other one has been retired, who's probably still been training, but has been retired and went up against an MMA fighter who actually put up a decent fight. Granted, he stood in the middle of the ring and he threw punches to make it more entertaining, but he did go in. Uh, I, I McGregor took a couple of those rounds. McGregor did win a couple of rounds. The problem was he just ran out of steam. He's not conditioned to go 12, 10 or long, long fights. His fights are generally in longer chunks, but a shorter amount of time. But this is a scenario where I think you put yourself in unnecessary risk to taint your legacy because there is a chance you get in with some dude who's trying to prove something against the guy who hasn't fought in a long time. It's one of those scenarios where like, uh, Tim, something if could happen. If he was a regular boxer, I could understand. This is Floyd Mayweather we're talking about here. Let's not even conflate the two. Uh, that, Floyd's that not even like... in remote danger of losing this, this match. It's not happening. I remind you to rewind this three minutes when Sam says he knows nothing about boxing. I know nothing about boxing, <laughs> I but I know continue. that Floyd Mayweather is not going to lose to a YouTuber, and I will put a bottle of Blanton's on it. D uh, done. Uh, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> no. yeah, I mean, June he, 5th, you're going to be not a happy camper because you got to break into your private stash and you know, get no, one of the he, 18 yeah. bottles. I, you're I, not winning. Do I, do I think Jake is going to win? No, but I'm saying this is a, a, no, Logan, a scenario. Right? Uh, sorry, Logan. Do I think he's he's going to win? Like, I can't honestly say, yes, he's going to win. But what I'm saying is you're putting yourself in a position where something crazy could happen. Something, a professional MMA fighter got knocked out by his brother in the first round. I know he's not the best striker, but he still ate a punch, which he took plenty of punches while fighting in MMA. Granted, it's Ben Askren, the same as Mayweather. They're not even in the same ballpark. They're not even in the same category. Solar system. Mayweather is a defensive fighter who was, who was super successful in getting out of danger, but he wasn't always the biggest at delivering danger. With age, things slow down, man. If you aren't as good at... Listen, if you're not fighting regularly, you're not training as if you're getting in fight shape, your mechanics change, your ability to see and perceive punches is going to change. So if your entire boxing career was dependent on counterpunching, getting out of the way of punches, fainting, blocking, all that sort of stuff, but it hasn't been in regular practice, and you have some douchebag who him and his brother have decided that they want to become professional boxers who are boxing with guys like um, Holyfield was in training them. Uh, I know Logan had some other like major professional boxers in coaching him. Like one of them is really putting in time and effort to make this happen. And now if Mayweather hasn't been training, like maybe he was behind the scenes because he, they, they were trying to figure this out and make the money work. Sure, that's entirely possible. He could have kept up with it. But that would be like, I don't even know how to compare that. That would be like asking Ben Askren to come out of retirement and fight someone who's not a boxer. And then you see what happens there. 
I, I just got, I, I just, gotta cut you I'm off here. I'm just saying. I have to the cut you off risk here. Max is not Keller worth is, the benefit because in you're my, talking in about Floyd Mayweather as if he's coming off the cliff. And what have we just seen with 40 year olds who are completely obsessed with their sport? They can find a way to get back to Valhalla. So don't give me any of this. Paul is gonna he's gonna hurt Mayweather. It's not happening. I don't even know boxing, and I know it's not happening. I'm gonna say, McGregor put up a good fight against him for the first like five six rounds. He went McGregor up against Pacquiao. Is a, McGregor went, is leagues leagues above a Paul brother, and the fact that you put them in the same conversation is disgraceful. McGregor focused all of his life not on boxing, but being on a striker in M uh, being a good striker in the MMA, <sighs> and that's how he found a lot of his success. But it's not boxing. Before that. Who did he go up against? He went up against uh, like an on the death doorstep age of retirement Pacquiao because he dodged him for 10 years instead of taking that fight. His last two fights weren't the biggest challenges yet. They, they so all of a sudden you get a 22 year old in there and he's just going to, he's just going to lose that. That's what, that's what's going to happen. I mean, age is going to catch up with you. And unlike Tom Brady, who can sit in a pocket and have a full team to defend him. You are literally putting yourself in a ring where your job is not to get punched in the face. You so don't think admitting, you don't you're think admitting that, that Tom Brady has some good weapons and tools around him. Then that's always been the case. Uh, okay, all right, all right. We, we don't need to. What have I said? What have I said anymore. otherwise? I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not backing down. I'm not recanting. Paul yeah. is going to lose. That's what's going to happen. June 9th. I. I. I I'm like seventy five percent on your side, but there's like maybe more than that. I'll say. 90% he's going to lose, but there's 10% of me that's like, but what if something crazy happens? What does that mean for Mayweather for going for a money grab? Like he went for a money grab against the YouTube star. And if he loses, what does that won't. mean? Okay. But let's hypothetically, he just, if he loses, he's 50 and one, right? Yeah. That means he's no longer undefeated. Now I get it. They're going to say this is an exhibition. So it no, it doesn't count towards his official record. But yeah, he will be 50 and one to a YouTube unprofessional boxer. And you talked about Ben Askren getting knocked out by Jake Paul being bad for boxing somehow, not bad for MMA, bad for boxing. And now you're like, oh, no, boxing is fine. Boxing is going to win this all the time. It's you know, he's a professional. Is there, is there a place that I can I can look up tasting notes of what Blanton's is so I can like appreciate it? And then the week after June 9th on the podcast, I can like what's in my cup can be like Blanton's and I can like yeah. butcher it just completely and just like talk about how the tasting notes are not what I expected them to be. Like, come on. I wouldn't send you Blanton's cause you'd put like Coke in it and you would put like ice cubes in it. So I'm, I, I, I can't hell, take that. Hell no, it would be Coke. Would, It'd be tab. Yeah. Whatever you would put in there would be blasphemous <laughs> and ignorant. So I'm not sending you Blanton's. I'm not taking that bet only because I'll send you a bottle. I'll send you a nice bottle of whiskey, but I won't send you a bottle of Blanton's. How's that <laughs> deal? All right. Moving on. Tim, Tim ducked, uh, ducked my bet like uh, apparently like Floyd's been ducking real fights. Uh, anyways, moving on. NFL draft. Oh my God. Do, we, do we need to talk about that real quick? You thought Pacquiao? I know you're not a boxing fan, but Pacquiao <laughs> went for that fight. Or, no, I, listen. Pacquiao I, I, went I know for that fight for the last Pacquiao years. Years. I, I, saw, I saw that fight. I think it was my bachelor party at Foxwoods. They showed it on the screen and we paid the $15 to go in and watch it in a movie theater. And it was awful. It was not fun because all yeah, it was that 2000 happens, and, got, uh, 2015. All I have is Mayweather doing this, getting around, throwing little but rabbit did punches. Did he win the fight? Did he win the fight? Rabbit punches. Boop, boop, boop. 
because he wouldn't like. And he then just didn't Pacquiao lose to Jeff Horn like a year and a half later? So yeah, that's because Pacquiao. Well, the, the Jeff Horn loss is super controversial, and I don't mm-hmm. think he should have lost that. So that one shouldn't count. But also, the dude's like a hundred. He's also like a governor in his home mm-hmm. state, so he should have retired a long time ago. The, the The problem is Pacquiao and Mayweather didn't fight in their primes. Pacquiao, I love how much until Pacquiao you're trying so backtrack. hard to convince me that Mayweather is possibly going to lose this fight. It's just not happening. Okay. It's not happening. Okay, we'll revisit this if he does. Well, we'll, re- we'll revisit it if he doesn't <laughs> because well, he's just, not going to. This is true. I'm already, I'm already typing up the show notes. We're, we're, we're going to put it in. Moving okay. on, NFL draft, Thursday night. Tim, remember last year, the draft mm-hmm. was virtual. Yes. A whole bunch of fans on a Zoom uh, parallel behind the NFL commissioner. They yep. unmuted them, let them say their pieces, and then muted them when they found out they were booing <laughs> too loudly. Um, this year, the draft's in Cleveland. There will be fans that will be there, and fully vaccinated players can hug the commissioner. I'm not saying we're back to normal. I'm just saying I am looking forward to what's going to transpire yeah. on Thursday night and hearing the commissioner get booed by a whole bunch of people in the stands. Um, it, it's been a long time coming. We've talked about how there's been draft uh, positioning drama and uh, everything, which has come with free agency. But that, that's like it, it's it's the same thing every year for the most part. Here we are again. There's a dearth of good quarterbacks uh, in the NFL, which then, of course, means in a couple of years, there's a run on quarterbacks in the draft. And that's what's projected to happen here. There's like mm-hmm. five quarterbacks that most mock analysts are in consensus on. Obviously, starts with Trevor Lawrence as the number one overall pick. And then, it, you know, Zach Wilson from BYU is the number two consensus pick in a lot of places. And then it gets haywire for three, four, and five. Every mock that's out there shows the same thing. Lawrence one, Wilson two to the Jets. Um, and I, I don't necessarily hate it. I, I don't disagree with it. But the... The Justin Fields, the Mac Jones debate, the Trey Lance, the Kyle Mond, like all of these other names are just coming in. Like San Francisco said, like, oh, we have five quarterbacks that we like at pick number three. No, no, you don't. You have two quarterbacks that you think about at, at, at pick number three. And if you don't, then Kyle Pitts needs to be in the immediate conversation. Um, whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be on this 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 roster by this time next week is remains to be seen. I mean, um, Kyle Shanahan went viral for making a comment that he didn't even know if his players are going to be alive on Sunday. I didn't think that was in good yeah. taste whatsoever. Um, but this, this is the thing. If you do really, really poorly in the season and you, and you get a high draft pick, you have to put a lot of effort into it. Now a team like Jacksonville, they need a quarterback, right? Um, Nick Foles wasn't going to be it. The, the Minshew mustache mania was not really going to be it. Cool. I get it. Go get Trevor Lawrence. The Jets? Yeah, you traded Sam Darnold away. I guess you needed a quarterback. I don't know that I'm really going to pick the guy from BYU who played a semi-softer schedule. Like, it's the same knock that a lot of Notre Dame quarterbacks get. Like, yeah, you played a whole bunch of other teams. But, like, was it really a good schedule? You know what I mean? Uh, and then the old Justin Fields, even though I'm a national champion – I'm the third or fourth best quarterback in this group. Just seems like heresy to me. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and Trey Lance, he played one game in 2020. And everyone's saying, oh, it's 2019 tape. I need you to stop right there. 
The last time we fell in love with a North Dakota State University quarterback, he went, what, number two overall? He led a team to the playoffs. He got injured. That team won the Super Bowl. Now he's with the Indianapolis Colts. Like, Mitch Trubisky only had 13 college starts. Look where that's got them. Like, you, I just feel like there are some times where we let the cart drag the horse, and this is one of those times. We should not be having a conversation about five quarterbacks in the first 10 picks. That, to me, says the NFL teams are not doing a good job managing their own talent and that there's a dearth of good quarterbacks. So if you get a good quarterback, I understand that you need to spend draft capital to get them. I'm, I'm cool with it. I understand it. The Bengals did it last year when they got Joe Burrow. To me, Atlanta should not even be in the discussion for a quarterback. You have Matt Ryan. There's, there's defense issues there. And if you have a chance to get Kyle Pitts, who's a tight end, who's basically Julio Jones, apparently. Why don't you go get that, right? But Cincinnati, they're choosing between either a weapon like that or Panay Sewell, who is the, the tackle from Oregon. This this draft is supposed to be really, really deep with wide receivers and tackles. So mm-hmm. why are so many of them in the first round? You know what I mean? Like, I, I just kind of want to see one year where there isn't a draft that it's just not dominated by nothing but quarterbacks. And I just don't think we're going to get that, which then makes me believe at pick number 15, that Trey Lance is going to be a New England Patriot. What say you? Uh, I mean, I, I agree. Mostly because I, I think a quarterback will go there, and it'll probably be Trey Lance, but they, they need one, right? Like um, Cam Newton is not the guy. Uh, unless Garoppolo ends up in New England, you need to come up with some sort of plan for the future, whether that's you know not uncommon for them to take someone and then immediately trade him. If they if the if it benefits the team, um, they're not. No, I mean, they're not big on taking guys that are taking quarterbacks that early. They're not even generally big on taking guys that early in general. Oftentimes, you see them kind of trade down for more picks, and then they take sort of a wider range of players. From you know, they'll trade from like one first round pick and they'll trade down for like two second round picks because they've always been a team that has found a way to make successful moves with, you know, relative no names. We've we've talked about that all the time. You could put the ball boy out there on the field and the Patriots would find a way to find some success. But I did hear an interesting stat and I'm going to kind of butcher it a little bit, but uh, they were talking about in the first round, if you wanted to take someone who was going to be the most impactful on your team, because you need to be able to protect your quarterback. You need to be able to um, block. You need to be able to to get in positions to help your team win. Uh, and the one team that has the highest statistic for uh, signing a five year contract, like re upping when their uh, when their original contract, their signing contract expires, it's offensive linemen. And I don't know if I just haven't been paying as much attention in previous drafts, but there's a ton of offensive linemen that go on there. And I actually thought you might see an offensive lineman for New England only because, you know, while Cam is not great, I'm on record saying I really don't think um, I really don't think he's got the arm strength anymore uh, or if the strength's there, the accuracy is off. I was arguing with people on social media about them not properly game planning for him when in reality, 20 to 25 yards was fine. Anything below that, he was overthrowing. Anything beyond that, they were underthrowing it. So there's really no way to fully game, can't game plan for 25 yard passes every time. So I was actually surprised they didn't try and shore up 
the offensive line to give him a chance and give whatever quarterback they end up bringing in a chance to get in, get some protection, and kind of learn the system. But I can't say I, I, I hate it. Everyone's sort of lost roaming around wondering, you know, who's going to fill in for Tom Brady. And it's just, it's not Cam Newton. I actually don't even know if it's Jimmy Garoppolo. He's injury prone unless they can convince him to become like a legitimate pocket passer and follow Brady's footsteps. I think we end up with the, the same thing. But for me, the draft is, is one of those things where, you know, I know we talk about sports. I know we're sports fans. I really don't even pay attention until draft night only because you know, you can look back and see breakdowns of, you know, some of the more popular mock drafts to see how accurate or inaccurate they are. And there is a level of accuracy there, but it's also a complete crapshoot when the night goes on. Like there are, there are plenty of mocks where you follow up the next day and they'll do gradings of mock drafts from, Mm -hmm. uh, from the day of, and you know, the highest I've seen, like, you know, someone who got an A still miss like four of the first round picks because you never know on the floor between now and then what's going to happen when a team is really under the gun to make a decision for their franchise and then someone calls with an offer that you you can't pass up like let's say let's say new england's sitting there getting ready to draft a quarterback and then san francisco calls and says hey We'll give you Garoppolo plus, you know, our second round pick for that first round pick. Once that goes through and is agreed upon, it tends to run, like shuffle everything below it. You've seen it happen with like the night of the second or third round pick will come out and they'll announce that they're trading down a little bit. They're giving someone else a pick, but in their place, they're getting their, uh, you know, seventh pick in the first round, but they're also getting their fourth or fifth round pick or even you know their projected second round pick in the next year's draft so there's so much that goes on that i and everyone's got an opinion about what teams should be doing what they shouldn't be doing san francisco came out and kind of called it like it is like we have no idea what's going to go on until saturday i'm sure they have like a ballpark they they know they have the second pick you have to go into it with a game plan but at the same time they're getting calls every single day, I'm sure. Not only about that pick, but they're getting calls from, you know, unofficial agents or or from from folks representing players who are trying to sell them on players. You have, you know, their own scouts who are trying to sell them on players. Like it's, it, it may seem set in stone. It may seem like an obvious move to someone who's coming up with these mock drafts, but the business side always wins 100% of the time. Uh, for better or worse sometimes it's not a bad move but it's a business move that gets made and then you end up like the bears you end up like the jets where you're kind of reeling from that for a long time um yeah so for me um do i want to see him take a quarterback yeah because we 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 need something for the future um but i'm not really going to put any stock on it until they're until they say you know with the 15th draft uh, with the whatever number pick we are yeah, with the 15th pick, the New England Patriots select. Up until that point, I'm still guessing that they're going to trade trade down and, and end up coming away with more players that are slightly lesser ranked. Because look at our roster. How many of them did we pick first round and are still on the roster? 
how many yeah, of them came in. Tom Brady, as an example, spent a lot of free agency this year. So you got to go out. And you got to you got to you got to back that up with something no one is expecting you to do, which is use your fifteenth pick on uh, on a quarterback or, or someone else. Well, if if we're looking at that, and that's what we're taking into consideration, chances are if you get a quarterback and you bring him in, he's not going to start this year. Like I don't feel like Belichick is going to be the guy that's going to come that's in and say thing. like, "Here you go." That's a good well, thing. I, I agree. But for me, it sets me up in the mindset that maybe the quarterback isn't the, the, the draft quarterback isn't necessarily the reason for all the free agent signings, right? Because you don't know what his timeline is when he comes in. So you're not going to sign a bunch of guys to contracts and then develop this guy and bank on him being ready in a year. You kind of feel it out and see how it goes because like we said a moment ago, most quarterbacks that get picked in the first round end up on different teams by the time their first contract expires. So I then begin to wonder, did they sign all these free agents? Because then they're going to make a move as the draft gets closer to trade that pick away and try and bring in a veteran quarterback. Bring in someone like Garoppolo. Bring in someone, you know, give the Niners the pick, bring in Garoppolo, but then take in, you know, the Niners like third or fourth round pick. You know, something like that. And the fact that the Niners are kind of playing coy a little bit and you never know where Belichick stands in the grand scheme of things. If I'm a, if I'm a team and I'm literally rolling out the, the blank checks to sign all these free agents, I'm not going to tell these guys, hey, you're going to come in. We're going to be Cam Newton for a year or two while we train this guy up and see what he's he's got to offer. You just said you have your doubts about some of these quarterbacks and the names that are getting thrown around in the first round. If you're yeah. not confident about it, imagine being in someone like Belichick's shoes and saying, like, okay, we just brought all these guys in. They know what they're coming here for, uh, but I can't guarantee when they're going to get this shiny new quarterback. Sounds to me like they were setting it up, and I'm shocked it didn't happen before. I wonder if they were just using it as leverage going into the draft to then make plays at like a veteran player. So that it wouldn't shock me if they traded that pick away, brought in a quarterback in exchange for that pick and like a, you know, a provisional later round pick or something like that. Let's let's just blow the whole institution up, right? Why are we talking about Mac Jones or uh, Justin Fields or Trey Lance at three overall? Why don't you just go get Kyle Pitts, Atlanta, okay? <laughs> and then trade Julio to the New England Patriots or trade Matt Ryan to the New England Patriots. Let Julio go to this stunning place called um, CenturyLink Field. Oh, no, it's Lumen Field now in uh, mm. <laughs> the 206 in Seattle, Washington. You know, th this is the thing. We have these players and we get so caught up in like the, the mock drafts because they say, oh, their measurables are off the charts or they have these hands that are massive or their arms are huge. They can jump out of the gym. Um, Kyle Murray, Kyle Kyle Murray has some questions for you. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, like there there are always going to be misses, and it, like people are like, oh, well, if you're a draft evaluator, it's kind of like being a weatherman. Like, no, because like you know, weather actually occurs. Um, yeah. When Jamarcus Russell was taken, you know, number one overall, and they knew he wasn't paying attention. What what was the the infamous story that they gave him a, a DVD, a blank DVD with play calls on them, and they said, go home and tell us which one you like. Watch the film. Tell us which, which play call you like. And he came back and said, I like them all. Bro, there wasn't nothing on those DVDs. 
Yeah. Like there are, there are going to be uh, instances in which you should be wary, buyer beware. I don't think necessarily that is the case this year. There's plenty of wide receiver talent. There's plenty of O-line talent. There's good defensive talent in this draft. So that means necessarily what you're going to overpay for running back and you're, you're going to overpay for quarterback because there's a limited number. And to be honest, we've talked about this before. I don't really know of a whole bunch of names that are going to come out in the next year. They're going to be like, yeah. Oh, this is going to be a great quarterback coming up. Um, yep. You know, shout out to the guy that gave me my second uh, Pfizer shot today. He was wearing a set of Cleve uh, Clemson scrubs. And I was like, bro, thoughts and prayers to you he's like why i'm like because you ain't got no quarterbacks anymore <laughs> you had yeah. deshaun watson you had trevor lawrence they, they both went number one overall like or well no watson didn't but you know he was, he was high up there yeah. and the guy's gonna be like you know he said well we probably have a five-star recruit on the roster we don't know and i'm like bro you would know you would know yeah you would know you know what i'm saying like yeah. just just pipe down like you, you were in the playoffs for a few years it's things are going to be a little bit different your, your team is not knowing for just inputting a new guy and making it to the college football playoffs, unlike Ohio State, which is why I think like someone like Fields is getting like unfair criticism. Like, yeah, you can't say, oh, Fields can't make the first anything beyond the first read when that's been disproven, or he has talent around him, and then allow Mac Jones to have the same reasoning as why he should go number three. Oh, he's a Brady in the making. No, we need to stop with that. We need to stop with these comparisons that you know Tim is the next Tom Brady. Sam is the next Russell Wilson. So-and-so is the next Calvin Johnson. The reason why those players are so fantastic is because they're one of one. They're so good yep. at what they do. That they, they, That's a blend of everything that you would want in player intangibles, but it is not, not a surefire thing. And you, right. in, the Alabama quarterbacks, the history is just not there. So you could take someone three overall, and I'm sure the 49ers will, um, and I'll, I'll be laughing and enjoying because – and crying a little bit because Seattle doesn't have a pick this year because it's Jamal Adams because we give it to the Jets. But the draft always shows really a look behind the curtain, right? NFL front offices are so ironclad. They never talk about things. They they never really tell people how they truly feel. You'll see on that night in April how they really feel. You'll see how yep. much capital they're willing to give up for the future. You know, for someone who's in the second or third year of their contract, oh, I might get fired as a GM because I'm not winning enough games. Sure, let me leverage picks from two years from now because I'm not worried about it. I won't be here if it doesn't pan out. I'm going to be fired anyways, so I'm going to swing for the fences. Cool, I get it, but... Yeah. Oh. Again, that's why That's why I don't put... I, And I know I know. I should. I should pay attention. I, I pay attention to what the team needs are, but not necessarily how the draft pans out because it's literally... It's, it's a, it's a crapshoot. Obviously, not everybody who goes to a team pans out so it is what it is i think there are a lot of teams that are kind of stuck maybe not so much now but every year that tom brady is in the league every year that tom brady is doing well someone looks at like oh we might have a chance if we pick someone late because look how that worked out yeah well the guy he's most commonly yeah. compared to was aaron Rodgers, who went way up in the draft and those two yeah. are like neck and neck performance wise so yeah you, you you got super lucky you had a guy who has generational if not like all-time best abilities who fell because he didn't look the part like you have Kyler Murray who's the opposite side of that who who went higher in the draft also didn't look the part so it's I, I get it it's it's more for entertainment it gives people things to talk about but I in my personal opinion 
I don't pay attention to a ton of uh, a ton of the mock drafts. The same way I don't really pay much attention to fantasy mock drafts, just because, like when you you, you do a bunch of them, but then when the night comes and everybody's in there you got that one asshole who has like no <laughs> method to his madness he's just no regard <laughs> blown up everybody's uh everybody's three running backs in a row one. yeah it takes <laughs> it takes one dude to make two unpredictable picks to blow up the entire draft anyway because everyone's got a couple guys they're going to take in each spot but if you're doing like a snake draft and the guy gets two picks to your one and happens to get both of them that's going to screw up your picks and then you're going to have to fix those by taking someone else and then that just sort of starts the domino effect so i mock draft maybe once just to see what my team could potentially look like but i know i, I charted it out for like three years just to see what my mock draft like drafts look like based off of my actual team and unless you can accurately predict where you're going to land in the draft order it's like the percentage of players that i went for in my mock drafts and got it was like 28 percent wasn't That's even close you, you gotta hop in a lot of mock traps you gotta hop in at one you gotta hop in at 10 you gotta hop in at five uh, that's right i i love i i'm a huge fan of mock drafting I, I will do it on every platform many times um you know standard ppr because I, I just want to see where the trends are uh and i've i mean i'm gonna brag okay but i got a lot of a lot of silver and bronze to go with it, and I I happen to get up there and and silver make and the championship round. So the first oh, and I'm second sorry. loser. I don't I don't know if you remember this, but you invited me to a group uh, to play yes. fantasy football a couple a couple years back, and I whooped that ass. I whooped everyone's ass if I recall yes. correctly, and that was a product of mock drafting. So I'm gonna let my records and results and my drafting ability speak for themselves i should obviously be a gm because i'm so much better at discussing potential <laughs> of these nfl players and the rest of these people around me Deal. We, we could beleaguer this point all night long i'm sure we could yeah it's great that we're having fans back in the stands i think that we we're getting some sort of uh normalcy not return to normal normalcy yeah. we're getting things that are more normalized that we're used to um, you know, the, the CDC recommendations are changing. Um, and of course, fans want to go to games. Fans yep. want to see their, their favorite players. They want to do more than just what they've been doing for the last year, which is being cooped up in the house, buying a lot of clothes. <laughs> you know, every, no one needs a jersey coming up this season, but they're going to buy some, of course, off these, off, you know, what happens uh, Thursday to Thursday night to Saturday. But we're, we're about there. And, and I, I like the progress that people have made thus far. It feels to me like Kamara Usman or Francis Ngannou like hit me in the left bicep with the second uh, Pfizer shot. So I'm like counting down because I've been reading all the uh, all the comments about how like the second day is like really terrible. So, you know, I got about nine hours before apparently my world is supposed to implode. I got a lot of meetings tomorrow. And I'm you know, mm. just trying to get this get this pod underneath the radar. And I think a lot of people are doing that in America. They're trying to get those shots right underneath the radar. They're trying to get rid of all the games they DVR. They're trying to rewatch the last dance one last time. <laughs> they got NFL game pass. They're watching everything from last year because they know in a couple months, training camp's going to be open. There's a lot of States that are opening back up. There are some mask mandates that are being absolved. People are getting vaccinated and you're going to start seeing fans in the stands with more regularity than you are right now. And I think it's very important. We just got to say it, what, whatever your, whatever your thoughts are on it. You know what I mean? If you get a chance, get the vaccine. 
wear your mask, wash your hands, social distance, do whatever you can so we can put this coronavirus behind us and so we can get back to what we really want to do. And you know what that is, Tim? Sitting in the stands, having a beer that's overpriced and a hot dog that tastes like shit and popcorn you know you're not going to finish. And when the guy in front of you says, hey, I could have made that throw. You look at him square in the face and you say, bro, you know you fucking couldn't make that throw. And let me welcome to my TED Talk and here are the 18 reasons why you can't yeah. make that throw. That's what we're trying to get back. Because you're fat and in your and in the stance. So well, I mean, that's just hypothetically, allegedly. We don't we don't allegedly. know that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not shaming him. I'm just describing a human being who is not physically fit for a professional sports play. That's all. It, I mean, it's easy, right? Like I, I took two snaps in uh, NFL 2K back in 2002. So I, I mean, I must know the spread offense pretty well, and oh, I could have yeah. made the throw. Your boy is crushing it right now in MLB 2K21 right now. If anybody wants that smoke, Grant Street on uh, on Xbox, let's go. Okay, so last thing before we get out of here. Did you see the back and forth between Fernando Tatis Jr. and Trevor Bauer? No. Yeah, so like uh, apparently uh, Tatis knew the pitch that was coming, right? Um, so like he homered, right? And, and they asked Bauer after the game, like, oh, like Fernando like celebrated. Like, what do you think about that? And Trevor was very, very forward. He said, listen, it's very hard to hit at this level. So if you step up to the plate and I, and I toss you something and you hit it, go ahead and celebrate it because I'm thinking about it. I'm going to make yeah. sure you don't get a chance to do it again. And it's turned into this shadow back and forth where they're like making fun of each other's signs. And like, this is an element to the game that like, I'm sure it's, it's always been missing. there, but yeah, yeah, but it's, it's not been highlighted as much as it has. And you have not seen a huge pitcher and a huge hitter talk shit on this level in a while. I mean, we see it as Sox Yankees fans all the time because it, it's a rivalry. It's, it's instilled in us. It's just the way it goes. Oh, you wear the pinstripes. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? There's like X number of like insults we're ready to lob at you. And then you come back with batting averages and you ain't shit without Mookie. And we say, you ain't shit without Giancarlo Stanton. You know, like it's yep. just, it's, it's, it's a or way for us just, to say hi. Just, you, you, you ain't shit in general. <laughs> Be careful. We have Yankees fans listen to the podcast. Yeah, hate you. I'm talking Lower to them. Case H. <laughs> I'm talking to them right now. You guys, I, just said. I, I broke down uh, at work the other day the starting lineup and the batting average for the Yankees right now. And I will say this. The Red Sox are overperforming. We weren't expecting this. They've been playing phenomenal as of late, and they're just stringing together wins after win after win. You look at the Yankees lineup, and you wonder what the hell is going on. I think the highest you got batting a good bullpen, average... Though. The highest batting average I saw was like a 270 by a guy who had like 13 at bats. And then the next closest, I think, may have been like Aaron Judge at 269. And then everybody else, including Stanton, was like flirting or in the hundreds. Like it, it's bad. It's bad. You guys should be embarrassed and you should feel bad about yourselves. The last time I talked to any badness about a team, they turned it around. So I'm not saying anything about them necessarily. I'm saying I don't agree with your fandom choices. I appreciate you support <laughs> the game of Major League Baseball, and I hope that your team continues to middle about. And that is all I will say about that. I just think it's great that we're seeing other market teams, you know what I mean, kind yeah. of go at each other. It's, it's, like it's, it's not going to be the same five or six teams that are going out and just talking all this trash. It's, yeah. it's your top pitcher. Like I think if we, it, it if we started, only get Derek Cole to say some of this stuff. Yeah, I think it, it started a couple of years ago with uh, I, I can't even remember what the catchphrase was like, let him have fun or let him play or something like that. It was basically like 
let these guys get out and have fun let them celebrate let them flip the bats let them do whatever and i think you kind of saw a little bit of a change but uh, social media is kind of giving us a little bit more insight into you know the day-to-day -day lives how they interact with each other all that sort of stuff so for me uh, you know I'm, I'm a baseball fan i know a lot of people have kind of uh you know stepped away now that it's that lives are just busier and baseball is a very very long season but uh i'm a fan i'm glad to see, i think they're going to gravitate back towards the mean at some point they have a, a a decent team but they're definitely outperforming what their expectations were going into this uh i know cora coming back kind of changed the sort of outlook on that a little bit but to see it happen at this level has been uh, a fun and entertaining little surprise a nice and welcome surprise. And by the next time you hear us, there will have gone right in the can because Tim will have jinxed them. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Stats Matter Podcast. We hope you like, share, and subscribe with your friends and family. Post about it on social media. Tell someone at the gas station. Uh, and, you know, throw the hashtag up. Hashtag Stats Don't Matter. Let's get this thing trending. Come on. Let's go. Let's go, man. Also, before we go, quick shout out to. Uh, Michael Visaki, who uh, earned his way in. Uh, if you haven't seen the viral video yet, go find it. Uh, he played in the Valspar uh, qualifier and won. Uh, yep. They got a pretty great little backstory. His parents sacrificed a lot, a lot, like, you know, tour commissioners and things like that, taking IOUs uh, in place of payments because they didn't have the money things like that, uh, to see him make it to a PGA event and the reaction that he has, he calls his dad, which if that doesn't get you, then you're just dead inside and you're probably an asshole because if I do something and the, like one of the first things, you know, I want to do is call and tell my parents, but like he's teared up and his dad's tearing up. It's, it's a phenomenal moment. It's one of the reasons why we watch sports. It's why we love the things that we love when it comes to these games. But uh, again, shout out to him. Uh, that is incredibly, incredibly difficult to do. Uh, despite how he performs this weekend to say he made it to the PGA Tour is just phenomenal. So Congrats. Michael Wasaki, hats, hats off to you, sir. Good luck this weekend.